0: Welcome to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast with Jane Rogers, where we discuss science to help prevent cognitive decline.
1: I have the Alzheimer's gene, APOE4, and I'd always thought that increased my chance of getting the disease. Today's guest has found a way to negate the disease causing effect of this allele. He even suggested to me in an analysis of my blood work that APOE4 was not my family's problem. He thinks we have a mitochondrial insufficiency that has most likely led to our family history of Alzheimer's. In his book published in 2021, Dr. Dan Goodenow lays out an entirely new theory to me as to what causes Alzheimer's, especially in those with APOE4. He says his real skill is looking for connections in large data sets. And what he found as the cause for Alzheimer's is simply groundbreaking. They're called plasmologens. Dr. Goodnow is founder and CEO of ProDrome Sciences. It's a fascinating interview. First of all, Dr. Goodnow, welcome to the broadcast.
2: Thank you very much for having me, Jane. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. So
1: we have about 40 minutes and we're going to dive in and there's a lot of territory I know you want to cover. I think People, first of all, have never heard this term plasmologens. What's a plasmologen and how does it affect people when you're looking at cognitive decline?
2: So, plasmologen is a type of fat, it's a lipid, and it's part of the biological membranes of the human body. It's one of the core building blocks of who we are. And so, one of the things when we talk about Alzheimer's and aging, you know, we have certain pathologies that accumulate in the brain, like neurofibrillary tangles and amyloid plaques. But we also the brain also shrinks. And it shrinks kind of like a, a grape shrinks into a raisin, if you will. And so when you think about a dehydrating a grape into a raisin, you have this nice plump grape and it's full mostly of water. And when it shrinks, when it dehydrates, it shrinks into a raisin. It does that because it loses water. Now the brain is fundamentally made of fat. And so when the brain shrinks, it doesn't lose water, it loses fat, it loses lipids one of the critical lipids it loses is plasmalogens. But it's not just in your brain, it's all parts of your body. So the human body fundamentally is comprised of cells and cells are these three dimensional spheres, cubes, rectangles, if you will, comes in various shapes and sizes, but they're all defined by membranes and membranes are what compartmentalize the human body. And those membranes are like walls in your house. So how you can separate your kitchen from your bathroom from your bedroom. So you can do certain activities in certain areas that don't affect others. Same thing that your house is separated from your business, which is separated from downtown. And one city is separated from another city. So Mm -hmm. this compartmentalization that occurs on a large scale in our geography happens in the human body as well. But instead of using walls made of wood and plaster, these biological walls that your body has, it gives this compartmentalization are made of lipids, or fat. And they're made of a class of lipids called phospholipids. And what these phospholipids do, one part of the molecule is polar, likes to be in the water, okay, like a soap. And one part is a fatty acid side chain that likes to be in oil. So you have this water and oil mixture. And what they do is they mix together to create what's called a lipid bilayer. So two of these molecules connect so that the polar group stay on the outside and the non-polar group stay in the center. And the body creates an impervious wall by doing that. So all of the membranes of the body are made of these walls and the cells themselves and how they're packed you have a trillion of these cells or more. Okay. So you have lots of them and that's what's packed up. And when they're full and plump with the bright lipids, you have full and plump skin and brain and tissue and heart and lungs and kidneys. So that's what the body is fundamentally made of. It's, it's one of the core physiological structures And plasmalogens are one of those critical building blocks of those membranes. And you have multiple types of phospholipids. People will hear about phospholipid choline and they'll hear about sphingomyelins. And you'll hear these technical terms. Plasmalogens are one of those. And they're a critical one because most of the building material your body can get from your diet. You eat an animal product, you eat an egg, you eat plants. All these plants and animals, they are made up of cells as well. So there are cell walls like when you eat a plant cell wall you're getting the fat lipids from the plant cell wall and then you eat them and they we take those and we incorporate them into our walls and that's how we live and so but there are certain classes that you don't get from our environment and plasmalogens are one of those they're very special because during their manufacture your your body makes them completely from scratch but the last step in their manufacture creates a very sensitive bond it's called a vinyl ether bond and it's technical but it's designed like a fuse, so like a fuse in your house or your breaker box. So if you have a pulse or you have something bad that happens, the breaker switches, and your house doesn't burn on fire. Plasmalogens are like that, okay? They're biological fuses, and their they're last step in their manufacture makes them very, very sensitive to oxidative stress and damage, and so your body makes these to be sacrificed. It throws them out there to say, you know what, break the plasmalogen first before you break essential fatty acids like a, like a DHA fish oil, or your flavonoids, or your CoQ10s, or some other molecules that are much more critical in our environment, we don't want to use up and become depleted in. So your plasmalogens are your first line of defense. And that's what makes them very potent anti-inflammatories and antioxidants, probably the most important antioxidant in the human body. But your body multitasks. It takes one molecule and it will use it for many different functions. Plasmalogens are like that. That's why it's a critical component of your brain. We're talking 20 to 30% of your brain are these plasmalogens. And I tell people it's like you're baking your Thanksgiving cake, for example, and you have your favorite brownie or lemon meringue recipe. It doesn't matter what it is, but the recipe calls for certain amounts of all materials. And say your recipe has 10 ingredients. You have excess of nine of them, but one ingredient, say flour, you only have half of what the recipe calls for. Well, it doesn't matter if you have excess of the other nine. You have half flour, you make half a meringue pie. The, the amount that you make is dependent upon the entire recipe filled. And so these plasmalogens are one of those molecules where you can have excess of other things, but if they become deficient, your body downregulates to that minimum component. And this is where the concept of biochemical reserve comes in. You need to understand biochemically what the body needs. Some of it we get ourselves, and then as we age or get a disease, sometimes we become deficient in certain things, and these deficiencies have longer, broad-based effects. So, plasmalogens are one of those type of molecules. And when we're talking about, you know, plasmalogens in, in cardiovascular health, lung function, there's rare diseases where, where children are born with a mutation that that prevents them from making plasmalogens at all, and these children are born with dwarfism. It's called rhizomelic chondrodysplasia punctata, RCDP. And it's a very high mortality disease. Children very rarely live to their 10th birthday. They typically die in early Mm. childhood because your body requires these plasmalogens. And they mostly die of pulmonary disease, lung function. Premature babies that are born too premature, they'll quite often get a disease called bronchial dysplasia. And that happens when they're born because they're getting all their plasmalogens from their mother. And then if they're born too early, before they are able to make their own plasmalogens, their lung function is severely impaired and they get bronchial dysplasia. So we have these issues that we know how serious a plasmalogen deficiency is early in life. But it's a very robust system. So we normally make enough of them for most of our life. Later on in life, now all of a sudden, for any number of reasons, toxicity, 100 different reasons why, but for an individual, their ability to make their plasmalogens become impaired or the balance gets disrupted in that they are consuming so many or they're being broken down faster than they can make them. And the problem with plasmalogens is that you can't get them from your diet or you can't get very many of them from your diet. So that's where the plasmalogen supplementation comes in so that we can actually restore them in a targeted way. But back to structure and function. So your lungs, your heart, your kidneys. So all these membrane structures, cholesterol regulation and cholesterol transport is critically dependent upon plasmalogen levels. So people with high plasmalogens in their blood typically will have good levels of HDL. Their HDL levels are high, their triglycerides are low because they're made in a certain organelle that also contributes to that. So your body is always in balance. Now when it comes to brain function and cognitive impairment and cognitive functioning, that's dealing with the neurological systems now and neurological systems are your signaling pathways they're the light switches like you have your wires in your wall that go across long distances and nothing's happening while that wire is going on they're protected by that protective sheet coating but then at the light switch there's a connection plate right and that's where the the wires get bared you can see the copper inside the wire and then you have that switching part so your neurological system has a very similar way Whereas in a light switch, you're physically moving the metal switch. The body is biological, okay? We're not made of wires. We're made of biochemical molecules. And so all of the stuff that we see in our physical world, the body has to do using biochemicals. And so that fusion process that occurs, how one neuron communicates to the next neuron, it actually opens up little vesicles and little molecules called neurotransmitters move from one neuron to the next neuron and then they hit the next neuron, and the next neuron says, wow, wakes up, and it continues on the process. So that's process of of a signal transduction, and it's called a synapse. The physical process of releasing neurotransmitters into that synaptic cleft requires these vesicles, these little spheres that contain your neurotransmitters. They come to the membrane, and then they release their neurotransmitters. That fusion and release process is dependent upon plasmalogens, Okay, they're the ones that are the critical molecule in the membrane that allows vesicles to fuse and release their neurotransmitters. So when membranes become deficient in plasmalogens, for the neurological perspective, you get an impairment of synaptic function. And that, of course, is reducing neurological function. So those are what plasmalogens do. So they do a number of things. They're part of your membrane structure, neurological signaling. And then that protective coating that, that protects that copper wire in your wall Well, that copper wire in the human body is called an axon. Okay, that's the long neurological system that connects your brain to your fingertips, for example, right? It's very, very long axon. It's like the copper wire. But like a copper wire in your wall, your body protects it, protects it with what's called a myelin sheath. And in the brain, the cells that do that are called oligodendrocytes. But in the the periphery, it's called Schwann cells. So people talk about multiple sclerosis or Lou Gehrig's disease. Those are diseases and where that protective coating is like a mouse chewing on your wires in the wall. So sometimes lights flicker, you know, sometimes they work for a little while and then you don't know what's going on. That's what happens when the white matter gets degraded. That white matter, which is that protective coating, is comprised of high levels of plasmalogens, but a different type. Your omega-9s, your oleic acid types. And then in the brain and your neuromuscular junction that protects that your neurons connect to your muscles to make your muscles move, that's also driven by plasmalogin levels. So it's a really a critical core component of human physiology. So it's not just some little serotonin receptor complex in the brain, which, you know, is important for certain things. We're dealing with really something that's core to human physiology. And this is why the epidemiological data is so scary. You can look at it scary in the negative sense, positive in the other sense, that people with high plasmalogins live a lot longer than people with low plasmalogins, 30 years longer. It's not a small thing. And plasma levels are more important than your age in terms of your longevity and your your functionality.
1: You're finding this from your study in Chicago.
2: Correct. Very large longitudinal study looking at people over 20 years of serial blood samples, looking at their cognitive status. There's a decline in cognition, but you also want to see, do you have maintained high cognition? And then obviously we'd have mortality data. And so we can look backwards and say, what are the biochemical markers that are predictive of longevity and which are predictive of early mortality? And plasmalogens are one of those molecules. And so it's important. So that's actually above and beyond the correlation and the association of plasmalogens with cognition. Okay, so having Alzheimer's disease or not even Alzheimer's disease, having any type of cognitive impairment reduces your lifespan dramatically. Okay. And it makes sense that you're not healthy, right? If you're not thinking properly, like if you have cognitive impairment, dementia, clearly that's an indicator that there is a deficit that your health is impaired in that area. You're reduced to functionality. And so you'd you'd expect something of a general nature to have a negative impact on your lifespan. So dementia itself, independent of its cause, whether it's Parkinson's related or Alzheimer's pathology related, is not a good thing. And so even after we correct for the negative impact of cognitive impairment on lifespan, plasmalogens also affect your mortality, even in people that don't have cognitive impairment. So it's important above and beyond that. So that's why we're talking about plasmalogens and neurological function.
1: So for what you wrote in your book was that if you have APOE4 allele, heterozygous or homozygous, you can build up your level of plasmalogens in your body and be able to negate the detrimental factors that come with that genetic allele, right? So if I can always keep my plasmologin levels up. Correct. Yeah.
2: And it's, it's understanding, like, genes aren't magic, okay? They're not some mysterious lightning strike out there, okay? The genes of your body, they are logical, okay? And they're your genes. They're there to keep you alive, okay? They're not working against you. If anyone's working against the genes. It's you working against your own genes. Okay, so people think give genes this deterministic quality, and they don't. Genes are passive and reactionary. So the ApoE4 genotype or any other genetic risk factor have to mediate their association through a biochemical mechanism. Okay, so there has to be the question, why? Why, why does the ApoE4 genotype biochemically translate into an increased risk for Alzheimer's disease because these the risk association is absolutely clear okay an e4 genotype dramatically increases your risk for Alzheimer's okay in a random naive population of people who do not know that they have an e4 genotype but as soon as you know something then the statistical work loses its value because then people start changing their behavior Okay, so, so ApoE4 is all related to cholesterol regulation and cholesterol transport. So people who get cognitive impairment when they're old, okay, there's usually three things associated with that, okay, mm-hmm. the three most common things. One is this accumulation of amyloid plaques in the brain. So the, the brain starts accumulating these peptides called amyloid. And it's, it's not causative. It just happens. You see it. You shouldn't have it. It's not a good thing to have extra amyloid in the brain. But it's not a direct causative. It's a biomarker, something If you have amyloid accumulation in the brain, it means something is not working right. The regular regulation of the amyloid protein is no longer properly forming. You didn't have the amyloid when you're 30 years old, and now you have it when you're 80 years old. So something that was working when you're 30 is no longer working when you're 80. ApoE4, something related to the ApoE4 genotype, is involved in that amyloid regulation process. So something about the ApoE4 makes it more difficult to regulate amyloid as you get older, because people with an ApoE4 genotype, on average, will have higher levels of amyloid in the brain, but not all of them do, okay? And so the other pathology that's common with Alzheimer's or age-related cognitive impairment is the formation of neurofibrillary tangles. This is little protein fragments of phosphorylated tau is, uh, is the actual peptide. And the third one is shrinkage. So we talked a little bit about shrinkage. So ApoE stands for apolipoprotein type E and your body has several types of apolipoproteins. And people hear about cholesterol, right? You have your LDL cholesterol and your HDL cholesterol. The reason the body creates these peptides is that these lipids, especially cholesterol type lipids and triglycerides, these are fat, fat. They don't dissolve in water. And so the body is mostly water, right? So when your veins are pumping through your body, It's not oil, like you're not a hydraulic car, okay? You're biological water going through your veins here that's pumping through there. And just like, you know, you don't pour oil down your sink without plugging your pipes, same thing happens in the body. So when the body's trying to transport triglyceride, which is basically fat, it's like pouring bacon fat down the sink. It's not a good thing, okay? And same thing with cholesterol. Cholesterol is like that as well. So the body says, well, how do I move these really fatty molecules in an aqueous environment or a water type environment? And how the body does it is with these apo proteins, And so what they do is they, these peptides or proteins are very large and they're very, very water soluble. OK, so they're basically transport trucks. The fats will stick to these proteins and then these proteins are water soluble. And so these proteins will then transport fat across the body. And so you have many different types because you have different reasons for different things. So when people talk about LDL cholesterol, for example, LDL, which is called low density lipoprotein, is apolipoprotein type B. It's the B type. And these different proteins have different functions. So LDL transports cholesterol to all the cells of your body, peripherally. You don't have any LDL in your brain. Then the cells say, hey, I need cholesterol. I'm starving. It'll take the LDL cholesterol and bring it into the cell. And that's how cells get cholesterol from your liver and from your circulatory system. The other cholesterol that's most common is called HDL cholesterol or high-density lipoprotein, and that uses a protein called apolipoprotein A, 2 specifically, and that is your reverse cholesterol transport. So where LDL goes into your cells, and you use LDL to feed cells cholesterol, because cholesterol is really, really important, one of the most important lipids of the human body. You do not want to be cholesterol deficient. We get obsessed with high levels of cholesterol, but that low levels is far, far more dangerous than high levels. So your body needs cholesterol. All your cells need cholesterol but it needs to regulate it. It's like the thermostat on your wall, right? Okay. You don't want to be freezing and you don't want to be boiling. And so you want to be able to say, okay, when it gets above a certain temperature, I want to turn the air on. When it gets below a certain temperature, I want to turn the heat on. And I want to be able to regulate the temperature by keeping it within range. And so you have to have something that controls both ends of that spectrum. So LDL feeds cholesterol, HDL pulls it away. So it's called reverse cholesterol transport. So LDL goes into your cells, but HDL does not go into your cell. It stays on the outside of the cell. And when your cell has too much cholesterol, it pumps out cholesterol. And HDL picks it up and takes it back. And so by using those two systems, your body can keep cholesterol in the membranes where it wants. If you're running low on cholesterol, it'll bring in more LDL. If you're running too high in cholesterol, it'll send more out with HDL. Those two systems keep your cholesterol where you want them. And different cells of your body and different parts of your body will have different optimal levels of cholesterol these two systems become hand in hand
1: so where do you want to see cholesterol level you said you don't want it too low but you don't need it too high
2: optimal cholesterol levels for humans are between 220 and 260 okay as soon as total cholesterol gets under 200 all-cause mortality doubles so if you're an e2 carrier they're not cholesterol savers They, they export a lot of cholesterol so their natural levels are a bit lower e3 carriers so they should be around low 200s An E3 carrier should be in the 220 to 230 range. An E4 carrier, their natural healthy levels should be in the 250 to 60 range.
1: And you're talking APOE2, APOE3, APOE4. Right. Okay.
2: And I'll tell you why that affects us as we get older, but not so much when we're younger. And it's related to the plasmalogens concept of this. So you have this regulation in and out. Now, the periphery of your body, and it's a long story, but the periphery of your body is like the interstate highway system. I'm moving cholesterol from my liver to my fingertips, long distances. So the body uses this interstate highway system of your veins and arteries, and it uses these LDL and HDL particles to send cholesterol and triglycerides long distances. Your brain doesn't operate that way. Your brain is like Chinatown. It's a bunch of little streets, no straightways, it's a bunch of really localized environment so these big semi trucks just don't work in the brain okay they, they can't maneuver they, they're not adaptive so the brain uses a protein called apolipoprotein e now e is interesting because e is ambidextrous apolipoprotein e has both ldl functions and hdl it works equally well It can go into your cells so your body can use apolipoprotein e to feed cells and it can also use apolipoprotein e to remove cholesterol from cells so your your body use it for both purposes in the brain so people that are born say with an apolipoprotein b apob deficiency like they're born with a genetic mutation your body will upregulate apo e and you'll use apoe for the rest of the periphery mm-hmm. so in the periphery you normally only have about five percent or so it's a very small amount of ApoE. e in the brain it's virtually 100 there's a little bit of apo a so the brain uses apolipoprotein e. this, this is where it becomes famous now because the brain uses ApoE, as its cholesterol transport, but it uses it for both purposes, both feeding cells cholesterol and removing it. And it's the removal process. Now, how the cells do that is that they have different proteins that recognize the Apo protein. Okay. There's the LDL that basically says, oh, your food, I'm going to bring, I'm going to pull you in. And then there's, there's proteins that pull cholesterol out and there's different ones. So for ApoE variants, the E2, E3, and E4, those three variants affect the function of basically one single protein in the brain, one of these HDL-type proteins. And it's one of the proteins that exports cholesterol out of cells. And it's related to a disulfide bridge. Proteins or peptides will have a sulfur. And a disulfide bridge is like a magnetic screen door, Okay, you have a magnet on one side, magnet on the other side, and they hits together, right? And that's a disulfide link, okay? And if you have that, the screen door closes. But if you have a magnet on one side and no magnet on the other side, the screen door doesn't hold. You need you need on both sides. And so what happens is E2 has two of these things, and it works. E3 has one. E4 is missing them, so it doesn't form these disulfide bridges. And it reduces the function of this Cholesterol export. And like everything in the human body, nothing is absolute. So E4 carriers are cholesterol savers. So your cholesterol system, as a general rule, you can think of it like a power plant where you have a main power plant like your liver that's delivering energy to all the cells of the body or the houses. But every single house has their own solar panels. Okay, they they're capable of generating their own electricity. And there's a balance. So your, your cells make their own cholesterol. They're not reliant upon the liver for cholesterol. Every single cell of your body makes its own cholesterol and it makes its own hormones and other things from that cholesterol. It's a critical biochemical pathway. And so there's a certain amount being made inside the cell, like your solar panels. And if you're making lots of energy, enough cholesterol in your cell, you don't need anything from the power plant. In fact, you'll donate energy back into the circulatory system. And the circulatory system is your total cholesterol levels. So if you're energy efficient, if your cells are healthy and making their own cholesterol, your cholesterol levels are actually good and high. OK, they're regulated normally. And so E2 carrier, they export cholesterol a lot. They're like a teenager with an allowance. They just can't save money. It's gone by they make cholesterol and it's gone. OK, and so they're always exporting cholesterol. So they're always needing cholesterol to replenish what they're exporting. So they always have a naturally low level of total cholesterol because they're always taking cholesterol in for the blood supply. And E3 carriers are like the, the, the middle bear in Goldilocks. and Goldilocks. It needs a little bit, but not a lot. And then E4 carriers are cholesterol savers. They make cholesterol, but they don't send out very much. And so they have naturally high levels because they're, they're very energy efficient in their cells. And this is totally normal and healthy for 50, 60 years of our life because the E4 genotype doesn't become a risk factor until 60s. And it basically just shifts the Alzheimer's curve to a lower age group. And the reason for that is that the other component of exporting cholesterol is plasmalogens called cholesterol transferase, or these least ACAT enzymes. And these enzymes esterify cholesterol and allow it to get it exported. And that process is under plasmalogen control. So when you're young, you have good plasmalogens. Your APOE4 is actually protective against certain bacterial and viral infections because it creates a more stable cellular structure. But As we get older and when you start losing the plasmalogens, all of a sudden, the the two people in the three-legged race are no longer balanced anymore, okay? So you have the the plasmalogens as they become deficient, specifically the the omega-3 plasmalogens. Those are the ones that regulate cholesterol transport. They're no longer carrying their share of the cholesterol export. And since the APOE4 carriers are more dependent on the plasmalogen-mediated cholesterol export, than an E3 or E2 carrier. So they become more susceptible or or they're, they're more affected by a plasmalogen deficiency in their membranes. So long story short, if you have high levels of DHA plasmalogens, it doesn't matter what your E4 carrier status is because it balances out and it neutralizes that risk factor. Because the risk factor for ApoE4 is that if other cholesterol clearance doesn't happen. And so what happens in the cellular membranes then in the brain is if you're not exporting cholesterol properly all of a sudden your temperature gauge is supposed to say hey i want my room set at 75 degrees and when it gets to 77 turn the air on and when it gets to 73 turn the heat on okay so it's regulating it and the plasmalogens are doing that for people so obviously if you're an e4 carrier what happens is when it gets to 77 the plasmalogens aren't tricking so now it has to get to 79 or 78 or 80. And then finally at 80, it says, okay, now I'm going to turn it on. So all of a sudden, this your regulation of temperature, instead of being tightly regulated, becomes very loosely regulated. Mm-hmm. And you end up with high levels of cholesterol in the membranes. And then that affects the amyloid pathway. And it also affects your membrane synapse function and everything else. So the amyloid process no longer works properly and amyloid accumulates. So that's kind of the APOE4 story. So
1: how does someone tell what their plasmologen levels are? And then how can they remedy that? Do they go to the grocery store and get some omega-3s? You know, wh- what do you do about that?
2: So obviously we can measure them. We, we have blood tests that measure the plasmalogens and it's the type of plasmalogens and the plasmalogens in relationship to your other molecules. Remember, it's the concentration. It's like um, a bottle of vinegar. You know, it can be 5% acetic acid or 10% acetic acid. It can be very strong. So you want to look at your blood work and it's a relative level. So the plasmalogen level in your blood, you want to be higher than your non-plasmalogen levels, because that means the quality of your phospholipids is good. That means that your body is making as much, if not more, of the plasmalogens so that the cells are maintained. And it's a type of plasmalogens these DHA plasmalogens that you want elevated. So there's several ways. Obviously, supplementation, we can directly supplement them and provide precursors that go into the cells of the body and help and allow the cells to make them in situ, which is actually more important than your circulating levels. Your circulating levels kind of give you a sense of how your body is functioning. How is, is your body healthy? But it doesn't tell us what's going on in any direct sense. A plasmalogen precursor goes right into each of the cells and all the cells to make their own plasmalogen. So that's one. Naturally, mechanisms is your intermittent fasting because plasmalogens are made in an organelle called your peroxisome. And this is what gets turned on during fat metabolism. So your intermittent fasting is very important. So getting your body into... Lipid metabolism, because plasmalogens are actually made from lipids, from your fatty acids. So you want that intermittent fasting, moderate resistance training, building muscle material, because muscles are also peroxisomally mediated or high peroxisomal active cells those are the two big ones. And then your overall diet is helpful. Like you want to make sure that you're not copper deficient or um, other types of mitochondrial function. So those are the core components of plasmology. So you can go to ketogenic diet, but I'm, I'm a more intermittent fasting person. I think people should have balanced diets, get good fat, animal fat. Okay. We can get our cholines and things from some plant sources, but some of the plant-based fat is not the most digestible by humans. So there's certain Animal phospholipids that are that are better, like in your eggs and livers, type of thing, from proper sources, of course.
1: Now you have a blood test, don't you, that that helps, that really sorts this all out yeah. for folks. So
2: we can measure all this. Yeah, and then then you're not guessing, and then you can intervene mm-hmm. and fix it. And then the other part. So plasmalogens is made in an organelle called peroxisome, and that's a uh, anabolic, or it builds things. It's where we make things for your membranes. The other core organelle is called the mitochondria, that many people talk about, and the mitochondria is a catabolic, where it, it's a energy generating cell. It's our little nuclear plant in all of our cells. And these things work hand in hand. And often what we find in young people is that when they have mitochondrial deficiencies, it'll actually cause excess proximal function from an inflammatory perspective. So as we get older, sometimes we get these mitochondrial weaknesses that can play just as an important role. So your body's designed to work. There are several core systems. I talked about the plasma system and brain shrinkage process and the amyloid process. The other one is this neurofibrillary tangles, and that's your methyl transferase system. People talk about homocysteine and phosphocholine and creatine, and we measure all that kind of stuff. So when you're looking at your body's health, you want to look at these core operating systems because they give you the biggest bang for your buck, if you will, understanding basic human physiology because your body is designed to work, okay? And, so, and you want to make the big things work in first. It's like if you're a gardener, right, like if you don't give your plants nitrogen and water, it doesn't matter what fungicide you're using or what insecticide you're using because you're not, plant's not going to grow, Okay, so you're not going to get the benefit from fancy stuff until you get the core stuff working. And so there's certain core human physiological systems that need to be working. There are B vitamins. These are essential vitamins for reasons. We've known about them for a long, long time. So the blood test looks at these core physiological functions. Plasmalogens, phospholipids, your transferase system, looks at your cholesterol regulation, double checks muscle like your creatinine and your your uric acid for oxidative stress and mitochondrial function. And you look at those things in context. Then you can target each one because there's basically very simple supplements if they're used in the right way in the right proportions can fix virtually all of these things.
1: And where can someone find this blood test?
2: So prodrome.com is where the blood test is and we're constantly expanding. I always recommend having a good functional med doctor on your side Mm -hmm. because everyone's personal situation is slightly different and should never take any blood test in its pure sense it should always be interpreted in the context of your personal life and your personal issues and goals because it's designed to help you understand yourself like if you have a sleep disorder why is there anything in here that tells me why i can't sleep at night and then we can work on that or brain fog like you should look at yourself as a system and when you're looking at blood work the body is actually very very smart but it's very simple in its smartness. It's adapting to the environment. Your genes is an adaptation to the environment that you're exposing yourself to, okay? Your cells and your nucleus and your genes, okay, they have no idea what you're going to do in the next 30 minutes. Are you going to have a salad? Are you going to have a pint of ice cream? They don't know, and they're going to have sensors out there to say, okay, what is this crazy person doing to me today? How am I going to react to it? And your genes have a go-to list of things, and they, they start learning who you are and say, okay, ah, I've seen this before. This is what she's done to me. And they'll react to it, right? And so your genetic structure is an adaptation, and it's choosing the best scenario under its circumstances. So if you're type 2 diabetic, right, or if you have fatty liver disease, that's actually the best circumstance for you versus all the other worse options that your body has for you. And so when you want to change your type 2 diabetes or your fatty liver or sarcopenia, you have to say, first of all, why is my body doing this? Why of all the options is it's chosen this as the least damaging to me. And then you need to change the environment internally and externally so the body can then readapt to the right environment and then it will readapt to that. And so when we exercise, right, we're training the body, the body is saying, holy crap, this person is doing this. I better make more mitochondria because I need to adapt to this circumstance. And then what you do is you create this reserve capacity by training the body to be in reserve capacity. So the days that you're not working out, you have excess capacity. Okay. Like if I'm moving my mouse around, okay, I'm not lifting weights. I'm way under my functionality. And so that's kind of biochemically works the same way. And so people think you're in control. Okay. And all your genes have windows and all your body has a window in which it wants to live in. You just need to find that window and then stick to it. And the blood test helps you to do that. It helps you say, okay, why is my mitochondria function totally out of whack? Then I got to work on giving it some more support. Give it some N-acetylcysteine. Give it some carnitine. Give it. Make sure your B vitamins are up. And then you can say, okay, now it's operating properly. And the whole point of this kind of work is to put your mind at ease, right? It's the randomness of our world that is frightening. It's our lack of knowledge that's frightening. Obviously, you can't control everything in this world. You get a bad enough insult. Even the healthiest person is going to get affected by it. But you can control a lot of these factors. And that's what the new institute's all about. We're getting more and more of our mass spectrometry systems up in place because it's measuring this and being able to, in an objective manner, put things where they're supposed to be. And the good thing about humans is that we have decades and decades of health, typically. We don't have to create life from scratch. We just need to understand good optimal function. And then if we deviate from that optimal function, we need to know how and why, and then we need to move it back to where it's supposed to be. And so I kind of keep a very simplistic approach to that. So
1: Dr. Goodenow, your book is Breaking Alzheimer's, and I've read the whole thing, and I highly recommend folks get it. It's technical, but yet you have a a very gifted way of talking to the
2: layperson. You're welcome. Well, people should realize, don't throw away all the logic in your life human body and your biochemistry is logical. And everything that you've done to be successful in your life, you apply it to this. Just the words are different. Don't be intimidated by the jargon that all of us scientists use.
1: Before we go, you started to tell the story about a 95-year-old. Yeah. And you can almost predict whether that 95-year-old is going to make Correct. it to 100. And that's with testing his or her plasmologin levels. Correct. If they're high, you're going to bet on the side of that person's going to make it to be a centenarian.
2: Absolutely. And that's just one core system. Like, we are really going to be looking at longevity in a very different way. Our personal presumptions and our assumptions, these are what define the outer boundaries of our thought and exploration, beyond which we will not think. This presumption of death has really defined medicine forever. So, essentially, all medicine today is palliative care. All we're doing really is easing your pain till the inevitability of death. And maybe in the best case scenario, I'm going to prevent you prematurely meeting that inevitability. So when we're dealing with health today, we're dealing with symptoms, fixing symptoms, but we're not talking about perpetual function. The human body is made of immortal materials. The very first law of thermodynamics is matter cannot be created or destroyed. It gets transformed. Okay. So we're actually made of immortal stuff. Like biochemistry, the molecules in it, the carbons and the nitrogens and the biochemical transformations that they perform, these are immortal. They don't have a timeline associated with them. Now, they're confined to our biochemical systems, but there really is no physical or chemical reason why that functionality cannot continue indefinitely. It's just a matter of understanding it. We can't use our ignorance or our lack of knowledge as a crutch and say, "Well, well, it's just too complicated. We can't figure this out. It's just not possible. You know, and we've done that with airplanes. We've done that with everything else, the four minute mile for crying out loud, not humanly possible to run a mile more than four minutes. But as soon as you break these barriers, you start thinking about the world in a very different way. And so these presumptions of mortality of this human lifespan, inevitability is really prevented us from really thinking beyond that box. And you get a lot of people that think in crazy portrait of Dorian Gray type thoughts. Like you're going to be the same picture you were when you are 20. Like that's, that's crazy talk. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about just functionality. Like a car should last forever if you want it to. Not magic. It's just function. The brakes of a 30-year-old car should work the same as the brakes of a brand new car. It's brakes. It's designed to squeeze a disc and stop a car from moving. It's not rocket science. It has to work. There's a purpose for it. And so fix it. Like I start thinking about it. And we're building more and more tools and technology and and getting the community involved in it so they can actually start interacting in their own life, Mm -hmm. and start really breaking down these mental barriers of health and functionality and try to destroy this mysterious black box scariness part that really stops people before they even start on their journeys. So that's kind of what excites me.
1: If I'm celebrating my 120th birthday, I'm going to come looking for you and say, thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. You made me think further than 80, 90, 100.
2: And ideally, I'd like you to forget the year you were born. To me, to really think immortally, we have to stop counting the years. The years are irrelevant. It shouldn't be a contest of how long you can live. Mm -hmm. The real Mm -hmm. test of longevity is being blind to your age it's not relevant how old you are whether you're 50 or 150 you should forget how old you are your age should become irrelevant to your world and your life It you shouldn't have any impact on your decision making you should have no impact on your quality of life you should live independent of your age because we still fall in that same category right Ooh, am i the nicest looking 120 year old <laughs> like it's like <laughs> humans are so competitive what's my age match what's my biological age these kind of things Really, to get past that, you have to kind of get to a point where you don't even see age. You don't think age. It's irrelevant how old you are, and you make no decisions based upon your age.
1: Mm-hmm. And we'll have to get over our age discrimination that we seem to have in this world, oh. which is still one of the discriminations that's a problem.
2: It's terrible. It's the worst discrimination on the planet. Absolutely. There's no discrimination worse than ageism. It, it really is. Well, I guess you could argue people. There's, there's definitely other serious issues, but it's one of my pet peeves.
1: It's it's a big one. So, Doctor Goodenow, thank you.
2: You're very welcome for your time. Thank you for letting me ramble on about topics. I've loved it. This is what we live for. Thank
1: you very much. You have a great day now, okay?
2: You too. Cheers.
0: You've been listening to the Cutting Edge Health podcast, created and hosted by Jane Rogers. The website is cuttingedgehealth.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and would very much appreciate your writing a review. They help a lot and we read each one. Any information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes only. Guest opinions are their own. This podcast is not responsible for the veracity of their statements. The comments expressed are not medical advice. Do not use any of this information without first talking to your doctor. This podcast and Jane Rogers disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects from the use of any information presented. Thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.